Hello, Story Community. We're back with another episode. Thank you for joining us for the Story Podcast. We're still digging into the Storytelling Types series, and we're giving you the second half of our conversation with the investigator type and my amazing investigator friends, David Paul and Christina Henkai. If you haven't already listened to last week's episode with David Paul, I would recommend going back, listen to that episode when you have a chance. It'll give you a better understanding of what you're hearing today. If you're new to the Story Podcast, welcome. We kicked off this season. Season, uh, I think we're on six now, if I'm correct. I could be totally wrong about that. Uh, but we're talking about what we call the five storytelling types. And there's a quick assessment that you can take over at storygatherings.com. That will help you identify your core storytelling type. So if you haven't already taken that, it's a great resource to help you follow along on this season. It was inspired by our theme for Story 2022 this year, which is simply, Don't You Know Who You Are? It was a line from the film Hook where Wendy asks Peter, Oh, Peter, don't you know who you are? It's a great question. We're going to be exploring it together, but we thought we don't want to wait till September. Let's explore it in this season on the Story Podcast through the lens of these five storytelling types. Hey, if you have no idea what I'm talking about and you're like, what is story? Go to story2022.com. Learn more about this year's gatherings. You can join us in person in Nashville for an immersive experience unlike any other conference event that you have ever attended. That is not hyperbole. I mean that. It is literally unlike any other experience you've ever had at a conference. If you can't join us in person in Nashville, you can join us online for a virtual interactive experience, which I also promise you is unlike any other virtual event that you've ever attended. We live and breathe creating these experiences. They are truly transformative. Don't miss it. Head over to story2022.com. All right. Last week, we were listening in on the roundtable conversation that I had with David, Paul, and Christina Hinkai about The Investigator. We shared with you in the last episode, David's RSPCT framework about behavioral storytelling, which was super practical. Christina joined the conversation with some really great insight of her own, and that's where we're going to jump in this episode. I hope that as you listen in, you can begin to understand the nuance of just how integral it is to understand the details, the data, the sometimes... Uh, not fun <laughs> for for you more like creator types or artisan types, especially in how it relates to the way you tell stories. It's a lot of good stuff here. Listen in. Um, Christina, I want you to mute for a second because um, I think you have some investigator in you as well, probably a lot of the other types as well. Um, let's start from here because I want to connect kind of the work that you're doing in your space with some of the stuff that David is talking about. Um, start by just telling everyone a little bit about the work that you're doing. So we have a little bit of context as a foundation. Yeah. I really want to touch base on what David was saying, but I will <laughs> give a brief intro. So I work in construction management, um, like dirt, hard hats, all that stuff. <laughs> and, um, what I noticed was just one day relevant to this conversation, I was talking to a coworker and we were venting about the way something was, and it was just like frustrating. And we were just like complaining about it. But the most important thing that I noticed happened is that we were bonding over it. And I'm like, okay, so this is great. We have this moment where we're sharing our stories and we're bonding. But like David said, I said, why? why is this sort of created and how can we sort of make it something different? And so recently I've been sort of gathering these sort of pain points that people feel. And I ask them, I say, 
Think of the last time you were bonding over something annoying at work <laughs> and what were you talking about and how do you think we can shift it to, to not be doing that anymore so that we're bonding over more positive things instead of these negative hurts. Mm -hmm. And it, it ranges from like injustices in the workplace or as specific as productivity, like why are we doing things that are not productive and innovation. So there's like such a range and, um, specifically it's called story lessons in construction mm -hmm. and what i'm noticing is it's not about just the story and it's not about just the practice it's about marrying the two so everybody likes to hear a good story but when you see that that story can turn into something tangible and practical and there's an exercise to be done it sort of hits both parts of the brain i think and it it, it just makes it a lot more effective which is funny because it's the respect framework and I just never realized it, but I was sort of naturally doing that. So hearing you say that, David, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I have language to what I've been doing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And it's just great. Happy that's awesome. So David, what do you hear when you hear Christina talk about that from through the lens of behavioral storytelling? What mm. do you yeah, well, uh, first of all, the last thing she said is very gratifying because, you know, I didn't, uh, while I came up with the respect framework and the acronym and, and putting some bones around it, you know, I didn't invent the idea. I mean, it is a very logical way to craft and tell a story. I just, I just sought to put some kind of um, scaffolding around it so that it could be used by other people, you know. Um, but really, the most important thing I heard was at the beginning. I mean, she said, I work in construction, I, I work with dirt and hard hats and, and metal and screws. I mean, you know, anybody who thinks that if you don't work in an industry that's cool and sexy and cutting edge, though, I would argue construction is is cut likely cutting edge. Um, <laughs> But you don't you don't have to be right. You don't have to be the latest startup or the coolest SaaS product or selling NFTs or anything like that. Um, Harris earlier mentioned, you know, healthcare and hospitals and Christina's talking about construction, the power of story to enrich people's lives and solve problems transcends countries and continents and industries and personalities and that's why I think Christina is a brilliant guest to have in this roundtable because it really shines a spotlight on that for anyone who thinks, uh, you know, what, what I work on is too boring. This doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to echo Karen for a second in the chat, putting scaffolding around it. Like I want to give you a ton of credit because I think a lot of times that's what great leaders do. It's what great storytellers do every year at story. You know, we work so hard to come up with these themes and we're having the same conversation. Eventually, you guys are all going to catch on that we have the same theme every year at Story um, because you're always bumping into the same problems as storytellers, right? Uh, it's just we're trying to repackage that theme or put new scaffolding around it. And so, David, I think what you've done is um, I've noticed we're really uncomfortable when we don't have language to describe uh, a process that we're using or steps that we're going through. And I think mm -hmm. that's it. You've given us some, some language so we can go, oh, okay, now I have a framework for this. And so it's mm -hmm. easy to understand. It's easy to describe. It's easy to communicate. And now I can actually get more tangible use out of it practically because I can walk people through it. Yeah. It's really good. Great. That's super <laughs> gratifying then if that's, if that's been delivered, 
then mission accomplished. For sure. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the research for a second. I, and for either one of you, if you have any thoughts on this at any time, please chime in. How can those of us who aren't as skilled uh, in this sort of investigator area, as we don't have lots of experience doing research, how do we leverage uh, your wisdom in this area to sort of fill the gaps in our own skill set? What are the like the basics? Like, hey, if I have some research to do right now, how do I want to approach uncovering that data as a storyteller? What am I looking for? Any thoughts come to mind? Christina, I'm happy to let you thought if, uh, start if you have something. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned like this researcher. I mean, I don't, I would never call myself a researcher, actually. And um, <laughs> I struggle with all those different types because I feel like depending on what I'm working on, my storytelling type will change. Mm -hmm. In this case, we're trying to find the root cause. We're trying to find that. And so it just naturally turned into a research project. But I would say the way it naturally started was that first part that David mentioned, which was get really curious about why something is happening, why an environment is the way it is, and just keep asking the why, why, why. And as Kate would say, it's about but why, but how, but why, but how, like, why are we like this? And how did we get here? Why are we like this? And how do we get, and it just, that's a good way to sort of start the research in a very natural way without it being, you know, all about analytics and, and numbers and all that. It's, it's just that questioning point of view. And um, when you're looking at the hows, try to think about the most simplistic way that something could have came about. I'm, if it's a big problem, I think it's really important to try to find the small bits of it and just focus on those little, little portions. Um, so you're not trying to tackle the whole world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, David, I'm sure you have thoughts too, to color that in a little bit more before you mm -hmm. share. Um, I, I want to bring spreadsheets into this topic as well, because like they're, they're a part of most of our lives. Right. And I, I bump into people all the time as I'm speaking. I mean, I lead a community called story and I'm trying to convince everyone that they're a storyteller. Naturally, I'm going to bump into some people like some accountants, some bookkeepers who are just like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not creative. I'm not a storyteller. I'm just a spreadsheet person. Right. And that, that's really the heart behind my question is like, no, even the spreadsheets that might only have numbers in them tell a story. How do we find it? Why does it matter? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great question. I absolutely love spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> uh, and there's magic in spreadsheets, right? If um, if you if you have some, um, uh, you don't even really need statistical experience. I mean, we we talk about we do work around telling stories with data, finding the stories in the data. Um, you know, everyone's a researcher. Christina says she doesn't think of herself as one. If you ask questions, if you're curious, if you seek out information, then you are doing research. We've done research since we were in fifth grade working on papers in school. Um, doesn't mean you're maybe a professional researcher, a statistical researcher, but I don't think we should be afraid of the word. The fact that you're curious and you're looking to satisfy that curiosity means you have to do research to, to satisfy that curiosity. And having that toolkit in your work and talking to your clients about the fact that we do, you know, uh, you could say research-based storytelling. I actually soften that a bit and I call it insights-based storytelling because research is a process, insights are the outcome. 
So mm. nobody wants to, when people hire me to do a research project, they're not hiring me for research. They're hiring me for the insights that come from the research. Whether I do that through research or through some other magic or voodoo, it doesn't matter. As long as I deliver to them accurate insights at the end of the day, um, that's what it's all about. So I'm going to kind of start to shift away with, especially with this group from the word research and really get into uncovering those insights for your audience. And for those who maybe can't hire a research firm to do a full-on insight study, Here's some other things that you can do. There is a ton of third-party research out there. Uh, any topic that you want to look into when you go online and you start to search it, you will find academic papers. You will find uh, reporting from reputable news organizations. You'll find blog posts where if you just drill down on who wrote it and whether they, even if they only have 20 followers, as long as they have a reputable background, um, and they're not just slinging misinformation, those can be great sources for uh, third-party research that you're not necessarily uh, executing yourself. If you have a relatively small audience and you just want to ask a few questions to make sure that you're not making the wrong assumptions, then work with your client to, to use their email database and get a SurveyMonkey account and just ask some questions or set up a Google form and ask some questions. Um, you know, I, I often tease with people and I say that assumptions are for amateurs. And if you really want to know what people are thinking, um, don't think that you have all the answers. Don't make those assumptions. Uh, professionals in, in our field, uh, ask questions, inquire, dig. Um, and then we at least have some basis of knowing what people think so that we can then craft stories that are going to connect with them better. Um, than just making an assumption and very possibly missing the mark. Oh, dude, that's so good. There's some little nuggets in there. Yeah, I've um, a few for you. <laughs> Christina, I'm sure you have thoughts. Please share. Oh, I can't hear you all of a sudden for some reason. Oh, sorry. Like I, was, there you go. I was saying the assumptions thing, that... That, my goodness, I say all the time, assumptions are one of the most dangerous things we can do, right? Because you can just create a whole environment based off of your assumptions of how someone feels or what they intended or whatever it may be. Um, and it just reminds me like storytelling really isn't about the storyteller. And that's something that I've sort of kept thinking about, which is like, oh, I don't have a story worth telling or it's, and it was sort of like, am I good enough to tell these stories? And really it has nothing to do with that. It's all about that data gathering. So the, the story lessons in construction that I'm doing, it's not about all my experiences in construction. It's about a variety of people. It's about finding what pattern I'm noticing is erupting from it by talking to a lot of different people, people that I have nothing in common with is usually the ones that where I'm going to learn the most from. And so everything you said, David, I totally agree. It's, it's that data gathering and just getting insights and learning new things that you just, you didn't even know you didn't know, right? Like that's the fun part of the investigative storytelling. Yeah. And does how much of this goes back to the spreadsheets that we were joking around about earlier that I guess they're on one side of the coin, the spreadsheets can 
protect us from assumptions because people like me go like, oh, I hate spreadsheets and I never look at them. And therefore I'm, I'm staying safer in my assumptions, safer with quotation marks around it mm-hmm. by not exposing myself to the data that might expose me. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's also cognitive bias that you were talking about earlier where two people can look at the exact same spreadsheet and somehow walk away with two completely different stories. So how in the world does that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, it happens when you bring, uh, when you don't bring objectivity to, to something, when you, when you come to it with preconceived notions, assumptions, perceptions. And again, if that's the lens that then you're looking in a mirror, you're not looking through, uh, you know, a camera or a telescope or something, you're, you're just turning it right back on yourself. And to Christina's point, it's not about us. I mean, no matter what I'm helping a client do or sell, it's, it's never about them. It's usually not even about what they're doing or selling. It's only about the outcome. That's all that matters is the outcome. Like I said earlier, whether you use widget A or widget B, it doesn't matter. As long as you get the outcome that you want, And I mean, let's look at the experience of buying a car, right? We can all get around in a, you know, $17,000, whatever the cheapest car is that's out there right now, it will absolutely do the job. And then you start to pile on all these reasons why you need something else. All of those other reasons why are fulfilling personal needs that go well beyond transportation. So buying a car at the end of the day is rarely about transportation, because if it was, we would all not be wasting a penny over the cheapest possible car that we can buy. And that's the same with any brand, why you would wear Nikes versus off-brand shoes. Uh, You know, understanding marketing and branding is a huge part of this discussion that we're having here today, because it goes to the psyche of why someone would spend $200 on sneakers instead of $50 on sneakers that do the exact same thing, unless you're an elite athlete, of course, and I'm a Nike fan and I have way more pairs than I should have, but I live in Beaverton, Oregon, where Nike is actually based. So I I think I've been, uh, I'll forgive myself for being brainwashed, Um, (laughs) but understanding marketing and branding and marketers use spreadsheets. You know, my wife is a marketing executive. She's very creative, but she lives by spreadsheets. Um, Christina mentioned in the comments Um, spreadsheets allow you to find patterns and you don't have to be a statistician to be open to taking that time to look at a spreadsheet as long as the, the data comes from a reputable source and looking for those patterns of behavior and then becoming inquisitive. Oh, this is interesting. Why, why did that happen? Is there, is there a group of people I can ask, or is there some additional research I can do or, or self-research I can look into to understand to understand why. So don't, don't be afraid of the spreadsheet, get, get comfortable with it. Yeah. I love that. Christina, what kind of patterns are you looking for in these spreadsheets? For those of us who aren't skilled at knowing how to just look for patterns, what, what do we look for? Mm, wow. What a huge question that needs to be specific. Yeah, 30 um, seconds go. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It, it, it depends. Right. So, and this is the This is the beauty. I'm kind of like a a math nerd, but this is like the beauty about numbers is that a lot of people may think that they are in a way objective, but numbers are actually just as subjective as words, to be fair, because like you said, both people could be looking at a set of data and say, oh, well, this looks like we're trending up. And the other person would be like, no, it looks like we're actually trending this way because of their past data. So everyone's going to be like looking at the numbers in a different way 
way. And so it's such an interesting question. You asked that. Um, the pattern hat, here's the truth creative accounting. Okay. Like everybody, like, it, what's the outcome? Like David said, right? If someone's looking, if they're looking for a certain outcome, you can, you can take things out of the denominator, add the numerator, things that actually exist, but create filters or lessen filters. And so I think what I'm looking for is what is the natural patterns that occur? And then what happens if I do add something to the bigger bit? What happens if I filter, filter, filter? What happens if I take filters off? Um, and so it's not necessarily just the pattern that arises in one data set, but how can this data be viewed by others who take a different point of view? And I go back to like parenting with that because like, like I have a message, clean this toy, right? And then if I, how I communicate that to one son versus another son, it's going to be different, even though it's one toy, it's one action, and it's directly in one location, it's going to be, it's going to be different. And so I am really curious on how people view the same data differently and how to convey what you want the outcome to be in a different way so that it lands with mm -hmm. these different people. That may have been a rant, but. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll add something to that. I, I agree with it. I'm just going to continue on the on the parenting track there for a second. Um, you know, think about when you ask your kid to to make their bed. And more often than not, at least what I hear is, well, why? I'm just going to mess it up when I go to sleep later anyway. So um, there's a deeper reason. You don't want them to make their bed so their bed is made. That's not that doesn't that doesn't actually solve any problem. So what's the reason you want them to make their bed? What's the lesson? What is making their bed every day going to teach them as they grow up? Um, and then you, you apply that logic or tactics that work based on their age. And, um, you know, and you, and, and you address the, the real issue. Uh, Ryan has a great comment in, in the comments as well, talking about the power, uh, the validity of third-party data, and how that's often more trusted than first-party, uh, first-person data. Where if you you quote something from Pew Research, let's say, um, as opposed to you know we did a survey with a hundred people. So I just it's a little bit out of context here, but I want to go back to what we talked about earlier because that information is all out there for free, more than you can ever process. And uh, you don't have to spend hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on research. Uh, so much has already been done out there in the world. And if you cite something reputable, you know, no one, no one's going to question you on that. Yeah, so good. Uh, Ryan, if you're able to unmute and jump in, I know it sounds like you're bouncing around and taking care of kids. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, whenever we do research at, uh, I, I work at a nonprofit that's focused on marriage and family. And we're trying to become more insights led as David has said. And I've found more success when I do like a, yeah, like a Barna remix presentation. Like here's some insights that we've gotten from Pew and from Barna, and we might've done our own qualitative smaller scale study to get stories out of our constituents. So having that kind of Barna or Pew, but our remix on it, it, it ends up bolstering and it ends up getting our, I, I guess the reputation that we're trying to set as insight-led storytellers, it, it helps us significantly. And it's helped me reframe 
not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel or even compete with stuff that's already out there, but using it to our advantage to tell what the broader story is. And it only helps us. It doesn't really hold us back or uh, weigh us down. Barna, yeah. 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 And Sarah uh, referenced in the comments also um, SEO research, which I, I think is is great. Um, there's even a site called also asked also asked.com where you put in a search query and then you get back uh, other queries that have then branched off of that. And if someone searched for this, they also searched for that. Um, there's another tool called Keywords Anywhere that's a Chrome plugin where it will tell you how often something is searched and then it'll also give you all kinds of other similar types of searches. So going down the SEO rabbit hole can be incredibly valuable in research. We're getting all self, kinds of you know, self-funded, self-done research. Yeah, we're getting all practical today. Uh, thank you, Ryan, for sharing and Sarah for contributing as well in the chat. I really appreciate that. Um, hey, I know we got just a few minutes left. I want to be respectful of everyone's time. A um, couple things, uh, David and Christine, I want to come back to you in a second. And I want you to be thinking if, as we move out of applying the concepts of research, insights, finding patterns, behavioral storytelling, all the stuff we'll be talking about today through the work lens, if we were to turn that inward to our own personal development and growth as human beings and storytellers, what might you have as an insight for us today? So maybe think about that. While they're thinking about uh, something to share as some final words, um, I wanna invite all of you in the chat. We're gonna affirm David and Christina and show some gratitude to them by way of specifically naming a takeaway that you got from today's round, uh, round table conversation. If you don't mind, Think about what stood out to you today. What single idea, what little piece of wisdom are you going to take away from this session into whatever you're doing next? Because as many of you have heard me say before, it's very easy to jump on a Zoom call, hear a bunch of amazing insights. It goes in one ear, out the other. We don't really absorb that wisdom. We just kind of move on to the next thing. So pause and ask yourself, what was most helpful today? What stood out and was most valuable to you that you're taking on to the next thing? Drop that into the chat. We'll finish by naming off a few of those. It's a good for you. And it's also good for them. It shows them that you got tangible value from their generosity of sharing today. Um, okay, Christina, I want to start with you. Uh, as you think about the work that you've been doing as a storyteller, but then when you turn that expertise back and go, how do I grow as a storyteller myself as a human being? Uh, what little insight do you have for us as we wrap up? Uh, I, I think it started personally. And then I woke up and realized it was happening in work. So I think it started that way. Uh, I would say parenting is the easiest thing. Having two children and having my own personality too, trying to figure out investigatively, here's the outcome I want. How do I get this situation to be that situation? And what are what are small steps to achieve a behavioral change? And knowing that it's going to be different for the other child or for the other adults, or, you know, if you're talking about a bigger family, you don't have kids. I've been doing this for years without noticing it with my siblings and my parents. So like, I think it's just asking why and being respectful and knowing that people learn things differently and trying to investigate the, the base of it. That's amazing. I'm grateful that we have storytellers of all kinds for that reason. Uh, David, I still don't make my bed. 
Uh, I'm so sorry. So clearly I still have some development to do as a storyteller and some narratives that I need to shift because it's not just companies and freelancers and solopreneurs and brands and nonprofits that have storytelling problems. We have storytelling problems in our own personal narratives. <laughs> How do we shift them? What words of wisdom do you have for yeah. us? Well, I'll say, you know, not, not making your bed isn't necessarily wrong. Uh, if a parent wants a kid to make a bed and there's a I'm reason the for that, but if you don't, that's your, that's your story. There's a reason why you don't do it. You've got a narrative around that and it works for you. So, you know, be a slob. I don't care. <laughs> um, I would have said parenting as well. Christina went there, which, uh, which is great. So, um, you know, uh, uh, I run, um, you know, companies that are probably a little bit bigger than a number of people on the call, but I will. So many people here might be employees or have been employees. And I'll relate it to that, you know, as I try to build an organization or even meet client needs. Um, it's really about understanding what's the root cause of how people are feeling, uh, you know, whether I'm dealing with an employee who feels like they're stuck in their career, there's nowhere for them to go. Um, and is it simply a reframing of the opportunities that they have in front of them, or have they chosen to limit themselves? And the most effective way to communicate is in a story. So anytime someone comes to me with a problem, whether it's a kid or a colleague or a friend or a client, it really comes down to uh, how do I understand their problem empathetically? And then how do I craft a narrative around that that shows them I hear them and offers them uh, a solution that they can also see in themselves and say, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I see how that's also worked for other people. I told you so much good stuff there, right? One of my favorite things that David and Christina actually both touch on is the but why question. Uh, my wife is an amazing copywriter. She always talks about this but why question as well. So we hear this very often. In my own business practices, this question is something that we're constantly asking and digging deeper on so that we can push out content, write copy, create events, help our clients just ensure that we're operating from a deep understanding of what's needed and why it matters. And if you're not already doing this in your own business or work, I hope that that's something that you can take away from this and use right away to see results and gain clarity and traction. But why? But why? It's a powerful question. I hope that you've enjoyed our discussions around the investigator storytelling type these past few weeks. It's been so great to get practical and tactical for those of you who are this type. And if you're not, I hope that you've learned from some of their strengths and wisdom. Again, I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record in this season, but if you haven't taken it yet, please take a moment. It only takes a couple of minutes. Just head over to storygatherings.com. Take that brief assessment. It'll, it'll tell you your core motivation as to why you tell and engage with stories, why you're drawn to the power of stories. Um, and it's a great tool as we ramp up towards Story 2022 in Nashville this year, where we plan to spend a lot of time peeling back the layers of that question I told you about at the beginning of the episode. Don't you know who you are? Uh, so I promise that finding out your type, it'll it'll make your Story 22 experience so much better and more focused if you if you plan on joining us. And even if not, we have some great additional free resources for you. Okay, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to give us a review or a rating. Um, I'm still in awe that the Story Podcast is now in the top 1%, 1%, the top 1% 
of podcasts in the world. That's amazing to me. Um, and it's made possible because of your willingness to continue listening and engaging, uh, sending us uh, ideas for what you want to see and hear and experience uh, through our content. So always feel free to hit me up, Harris at Astoria.com, H-A-R-R-I-S at I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com, Harris at Astoria.com. Take the assessment at storygatherings.com. Grab your ticket to join us at Story 2022 at Story2022.com. All right, that's it for this episode. As always, I am Harris III. Thank you so much for listening to the Story Podcast. Until next week, please keep telling stories that matter. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.